Well, I, I pulled that out of the recesses. Uh, that, that's, a, that's an older, older movie. Um, but, but I really, I remember watching, it's a great drum line, it's a great, it's a great movie. I, I just remember that one band, one sound. It's just a powerful uh, and, and quick way to speak to the importance of, of unity and, and devotion and teamwork. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, let me read to you maybe by which this uh, one band, one sound was inspired. This is Paul, and he's talking about the church, and he's talking about the church as a human body. And the human body has, has different members that all work in concert with each other. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, he says, So if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. And so for this morning, if, if I may, I, I'd like to rather than say one band, one sound, I would like to talk about one church, one mission. Last week, we started the new church year, and it's an exciting time. People are back in town, and we have an opportunity to do some new things, and we, as, as already mentioned, new staff. There's just, there's just some excitement going on. There's some new faces. We keep seeing new faces, which is fantastic. We love that. That's why we're here. And I thought it was important that we start the year off looking at and going back to the origin our foundation, our, 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 our heritage, going back to the first church. And so we're going to go back there one more time this week. So I'm going to ask you, those of you that are here, those of you that are tuned in, either get your Bible apps open or your Bible open to your table of contents. And let's find in the New Testament, the fifth book down. It is the book of Acts. So as you find that, go ahead and get to the page. You'll be at chapter one. I need you to get to chapter number two in the book of Acts. As we embark on week two of, of going back and seeing how it all started. If you recall the book of Acts, it's surprising. It's a whole book that really has very little in the way of proposition. Very little in the way of, of teaching principles. It's, it's all about action. The other letters in the New Testament, many of which were written by Paul to local churches, there is plenty of uh, principle in there. There's plenty of proposition in there. But Acts is about what happened. How did we get here, us, here? It started there, back in the day. It started in Acts chapter 2. And that's what I want to do this morning. Last week, if you recall, we looked at the mission. And, and I, I, I've been asking myself each morning that I've been waking up, I'm just trying to get dialed in. And I want to wake up to the fact, the reality of it is, is that I, I wake up every morning as a follower of Jesus, I wake up to a mission. And in particular, I wake up to the mission of the church. And, and Jesus in particular said in Matthew chapter 20, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. That was a mission. Anyone who's a Christ follower in here, anybody who's watching online that's a Christ follower, do you wake up? Are you aware of the fact that you're on a mission? I mean, I know there's a lot of other things going on. I get that. But we cannot crowd and push out and push to the margins and push to the ends. And when we have time, if we have time, we've got to be mindful that there's a mission that began, and we're re reading about it in Acts. And in particular this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look inside, internally. Because last week, we looked externally. 
Jesus gave a mission. And then we looked at three followers of Jesus who put that mission into practice. Remember, we, we looked at um, Peter. Peter, remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. He was afraid. He was afraid to associate or identify with Jesus in any way. And every time someone pointed at him and said, he's with him, he'd go, no, no, I, I don't know the guy. And then Jesus restores him after he's been resurrected. And Peter, you can imagine if you were Peter and you see Jesus, he's resurrected, he's alive, and, and you don't want to be anywhere near him, right? Because it's like, I, I denied him three, and he even told me I was going to deny him, but I told him I wouldn't, and I did. And then Jesus restores him. And then, Jeter, uh, and then Peter, he starts to proclaim the truth of Christ and the message of Christ boldly. I mean, he's, he's persecuted for it. He's beaten for it. He's rejected for it. He's ridiculed for it. And yet he speaks courageously to those who are outside the church. And then we looked at Stephen. Remember Stephen? Stephen was the first martyr of the faith. He was the one that was proclaiming the story of God. And he was talking to Jewish people. And he was saying, go back and look at how it began. And here's the thread. Here's where it's going. Here's, here's the Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one. And it's Jesus. And as he's sharing that, they stone him to death. And he doesn't run. He doesn't fight back. Remember what happens is he looks up and he has this eternal perspective and he sees Jesus not sitting at the right hand of God. Luke wrote in Acts, he, he was standing to receive this, this faithful, courageous one who, who sought eternity rather than just merely this world. And then we had Saul and Paul, right? Saul was prior to Paul being Paul, he was Saul, and he persecuted Christians. And I mean, he was at the top of the food chain. He was smart. He was a Pharisee. Uh, he was a hero of the Jewish faith because he was chasing down. He was persecuting Christians. He was trying to stomp out this renegade group of men, the disciples, who were proclaiming this lunacy that the Savior had come and he was crucified. And he's chasing them down. And what, what does Jesus do? Jesus stops him dead in his tracks. Right, he just, while he's on his way, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He identifies with the church that closely. And, and in that moment, Saul's struck blind, and, and later he regains his sight, and he, and he gets a new name, and then he's unleashed, and he becomes arguably the greatest voice for the very message that he was persecuting and killing people for. That's how our story began. That's the, the legacy that we have been invited to be a part of and to pass along. And it's, it was about taking the mission out. And we talked about that last week. So important, okay? This week, we also have to look at internally. Something was happening to this, this ragtag group of people. They were becoming the very first church. And there was something powerfully going on internally that made the external, that made the go therefore as powerful as it was, my friends, we know how powerful it is, or we know how powerful it was, because we sit here right now from a message that started in Jerusalem and made its way, made its way all the way here. That's how powerful it was. And the power that they had was certainly the Spirit of God working in them, but it was also something that was happening, the dynamic that was happening within that family, that spiritual family, that very first church. And so this morning, I want us to glean from what was happening inside that we might be able to replicate that, that we might be able to experience some of that so that our testimony is as strong and the mission that God continues 
to reach out to people that are looking for help, looking for an answer to life's problems, we can share that. We can live that before them. So that's where we're going this morning. Will you join me in that going back and just looking and gleaning, and let's just see what we can get from that. To do that, I, I'm going to start with a question. I want to ask you something. I want you to think about it just for a second, and that is, what are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? What is it that seemingly takes up the most amount of space in your head, in your thoughts? What seems to park itself in the greatest part of your heart that just draws all the affection from you, or at least most of the affection? What are your plans? What are your dreams? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? What are you devoted to? Because that's what we're talking about this morning. What we're going to see was the devotion of the early church that, that gave it the energy, that gave it um, the momentum that carried that message all the way to you and to me. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is is devotion. Now, typically, when we're talking about devotion, you really can't have more than just a couple of things that you can really be devoted to. And there's a lot of wonderful things to be devoted to, but I, I'm going to suggest to you that, that being devoted to your church family is extremely important. It's, it's extreme. We're going to see right here what it looks like and what it has accomplished in hopes that we can replicate it. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read a slice of it. This is uh, written by Luke. Luke is a doctor. He likes the details. So if you'll follow along with me, let's glean from this. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Peter has just preached this amazing, powerful message. It says, so those who accepted his message were baptized that day. About 3,000 people were added to them. 3,000 people. How does that happen? Well, we have to remember here is that this is taking place in Jerusalem during Passover. So you have Jews coming from all over like crazy to come back to Jerusalem for Passover, to celebrate when God saved his people out of Egypt. So there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands. What a great time for the church to be birthed. What a great time for, for Peter to be bold and proclaiming. And people were hearing it and responding to it. 3,000 were added. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Something was happening. The Spirit of God has been unleashed. The people of God are drawn together. And the, the watching world sees it and they're drawn in by it. Acts chapter 4, Luke, again, just overwhelmed with what was taking place, uh, writes in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. He says, now the large group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. One band, one sound is, is really more appropriate for us today. One church, one mission. They're of one heart and one mind. And no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. And the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was on them all, for there was not a needy person among them. 
because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds to the, of the things that, they, that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed for each person's basic needs. Something amazing is happening. There's a spiritual family that's being formed. And the implications of it are endless. But you know how some people think of church. Some people think of church kind of like it's a gym. A workout place. I go to LA Fitness. It's obvious, I know. Um, And at LA Fitness, when I go to LA Fitness... What is on my mind is my physical fitness. Frankly, I'm not worried about anyone else around me, how they look or how healthy they are or are trying to become. I I don't worry about that. Truth be told, maybe those of us that go to a gym, we kind of want the other people around us to not look so good so that we look good by comparison. But I have no investment in the people that are in LA Fitness, none whatsoever. LA Fitness is a tool for me individually to get healthy. And to remain healthy. And that's how some people see the church. But the church is not a tool, my friends. Uh, The church is not a, a workout facility. The church is, as Paul talks about it often, it is the body of Christ. It is the family of God. And we are to have mutual concern and interest for one another. We're not just to worry about ourselves. We're not just to come so that we can be right. We're to think about the others, the spiritual family that we're a part of. And we're to do our part and and play our part in being one church, one mission. And, And we see it happening right here before us. And the word that jumped out at me when I was reading this and always have when I when I read uh, Acts chapter two is it says, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. It does not say that they squeezed some time in with their church family. It does not say that they showed up because there was nothing else better going on. It doesn't say that they engaged because they had to. It says they devoted themselves. Out of the overflow of what God had done for them through Christ, they devoted themselves. A spiritually healthy church family and a spiritually healthy person is going to be characterized by devotion. Devotion. Where there's space taken up in your head and in your heart and in your time and in your plans and in your dreams to be a part of to be engaged, to be connected into a spiritual family. And notice that it was not something that they merely attended. It was something they were committed to. Let me ask you this. Do you attend your family? Do you? I, I, I attend my family, right? No, no, we're, we're committed to our family. We're, we're devoted to our family. At one o'clock today, I am going to go and I'm going to watch my grandson play football. And I'm not going to be attending a flag football game. I'm going to be investing in my grandson. Now, they better win because I'm teaching them how to, you know, how to, how to win. But um, no. Do you attend a family? Do you attend your family? Or are you committed and devoted? So let me ask you this. What is your relationship high point? Do you, do you, did you come this morning attending high point? 
Some of you have because you're checking High Point out. Some of you have tuned in and you're checking High Point out. And we welcome that. But at some point, to be healthy, for us to be spiritually healthy, for you to be a spiritually healthy person, is we, we, we stop attending and we invest. We engage. We become devoted to a spiritual family. So think about it. I'm just asking, how would you characterize your relationship to your church? Now, they were devoted. Now, what, what specifically were they devoted to? Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to their prayers. So if they had devoted themselves to these things, what that means, and this, this is something we have to accept with devotion, devotion comes with a cost. Because we have a finite amount of time, we have a finite amount of energy, we have a fi finite amount of resources. So devotion comes with a cost. And the cost of devotion is saying no to other things and often other good things. If we really want to be devoted, we have to say no to some good things in order to keep that which we're devoted to rightful in its rightful place in our heart and in our heads. But we're challenged, particularly in our country and our culture, we, we try to do so many things. We try to fill our lives with so many things. I go back to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He's talking to Timothy, young pastor. And he's impressing upon Timothy to, to, to encourage his people, for them to understand how can they really be spiritually a family? How can they be devoted to one another? In verse 6 of chapter 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we, we will be content with these. The idea is we have to simplify our lives. I, 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 when talking to people, I, I, I'm regularly told that they, they're unable to do some things because they're so busy. And I get that. And our, our culture has gotten only more busy. But if we really want to be, and, if, and, and I believe we need to be devoted in the way that we see this here, at least resembling this here, we're going to have to say no to some things. I, I think the, the danger to devotion has been long running for us in our country, and that is consumerism. You see, as consumers, we're, we're taught to be shrewd, to really evaluate anything we're about to buy or enter into based on what's in it for me. Am I, what's the best bang for my buck? And I think that's a very important consideration for when you're buying things. But the problem is we cannot help but bring that into the church. And, and what we start to do is we weaken the church from the inside out when we come with a consumeristic mindset. When we're looking at what's in it for me. And that is the antithesis of a church family, of, of, a, of a devoted church family. That's the antithesis of what was taking place here. We need to come willing to say no to some things, willing to simplify in our lives some things so that we have the space, the time, the energy, the resources to equip, to train, to encourage, to support one another because, remember, we're on mission. We're on a mission. That's never going to change. And the mission is more than getting your child graduated from high school and college. The mission is greater than getting promoted at work. The mission is greater than having a nest egg so you can retire. The mission is infinitely greater than that. 
And so we have to have the space and the time to do that, which means we have to simplify. But that's a, that, we don't like to hear that. That's hard. And there are times, and I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you right now, I am sorry. This is an honest confession, and it is an honest apology. I have been tempted at times before, and I've given in to the temptation, and I'm going to try not to do it anymore. When I, when I want you, for example, to read your Bible, because how important it is, the first thing I default to is I want to tell you the benefits of reading your Bible. To try to get you really, truly, fully invested, engaged, and devoted to this church family, my first thought was, okay, what are the things I can tell them that will benefit them, that will entice them to want to do that? And unknowingly, I am only reinforcing this consumeristic mindset. And I am sorry for that. I apologize for the times I've done that. Should it not be enough for the followers of Jesus? Should it not be enough that, we, that God simply says, I command it? Should that not be good enough for us? You see, you, you cannot and I cannot, we cannot follow the commands, the many one another commands that are in the New Testament unless we're involved in a local church, connected, invested, devoted, because all those one another commands are written to local churches, just like this one. The writer of Hebrews says, do not stop meeting together. That in the process of meeting together, we encourage one another. What do we need encouragement for? We're on mission. We're on a mission. We need to stay focused, laser focused on what that mission is about. So we have this, uh, this amazing attribute of devotion. And they devoted themselves to a number of things. It says they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were teaching the word of God. And they were doing that every day. They were, they were just taking in every day the word of God. And they were learning the word of God. And they were applying the word of God. And they were growing. I, I think it's interesting, just as a side note, this is something that um, I think we need to hear. It really doesn't have so much to do with what I'm saying now. But I won't charge you for this. This is free, okay? If you recall in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, as Luke is describing uh, what's going on, and, and he, he, he makes mention of that the, the apostles that they were teaching. They were giving testimony, he says. And the apostles were giving testimony with the great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them. Christians, let me just parenthetically say for a moment that we cannot teach people who are not followers of Jesus, how they're supposed to live their lives. What we can't do, we can't go, why aren't you living your life like this? If they don't know the one who's, who gives life and, and, and enables us to live like this. Notice that Christianity, my friends, it is founded upon not the moral teaching of the Bible. It is founded upon an event. Something happened. Jesus Christ came back from the dead. That makes that Christianity unique from any other faith-based system. Because there are all kinds of teachings out there. There are all kinds of sacred scripture that's out there. But there's only one resurrection of our Lord and Savior ruling and reigning now. And that is Jesus Christ. And that is what the church is founded upon. Let us not forget that. And that is what they were teaching them. They also, it also says that they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex. 
And there were prayers. Talked about that they were doing. They were, they were praying together. And this is the idea of these large gatherings. That they were devoted to, to the large gatherings, which are important. That is the corporate worship. That's what we're doing here. That's how we encourage one another. We worship together collectively. God loves that. And we're a mosaic. I mean, look at us. Let me just look around for a minute. Man, we look different, which is good. And we have different stories. And we're all God's work in progress. And as we grow, there's always going to be somebody on your right and always somebody on your left. There's going to be somebody that you've grown uh, that, that's, that's not as far as you in your relationship with God because they haven't had the time necessarily. But there's always going to be someone to your left who's, who's grown and is more mature than you, which should humble us. It also should attract us. Because what we share in common is we share in common the fact that we've been blown away by God's love for us expressed in the person of Jesus. And that's what they were doing. They were meeting in these large gatherings. And, and a, a purpose of these meetings in terms as it relates to the building of community is you get to meet other people. And that's why we have name tag Sundays periodically is we want you to meet people you don't know. Because that has, that's how relationships start, is you meet people. And you also, in these large gatherings, you're learning about God's word. You're learning, okay? And that's what they were doing. But that's not all they were doing. They were committed, not just to the large gatherings, but they were committed to the smaller gatherings as well, the intimate gatherings, with words such as, talks about fellowship, talks about breaking of bread, which was a reference to both communion and Supper, they were eating together. I mean, when you eat together with someone, you're, you're kind of letting it all out there, right? I mean, you know, some of you, I've, I've eaten with you. You make weird noises when you eat. All right? Uh, some of you chew with your mouth open. Come on, you, you're better than that, right? No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding, okay? I Believe me, those of you who have eaten with me, what you know about me is I am picky. And my wife has endured that for how many years, sweetheart? Where are we? 35? 35? So we all got our things, okay? And that, that's just an intimate, and that's what they were doing, right? It says that they ate, they, oh, they went from house to house. They ate with their, their food with a joyful and humble attitude. This is what was happening. So there was, a, there was a, an engagement in, in the smaller gatherings, the intimate gatherings. And what happens there? Well, you take the large meeting like we have here where you meet people and you learn. What you can do in a smaller gathering is you, not, you, you, you meet, but then it grows into connection. Now you can connect. Now you can get to know somebody. They can get to know you. And now you can take what you learned in the bigger gathering and you work it out in the smaller gathering. And now you grow because you listen to how other people are processing God's truth. My friends, both of those are critical. Both of those were critical to the success of, the, of this fledgling group that Jesus pulls together. They didn't stop meeting corporately, collectively as a large group because it was a powerful encouragement and they got to meet people and just be surrounded by the body of Christ. But then in those smaller, intimate, more um, quiet, um, purposeful gatherings, they got to connect and go deeper and to grow. I know sometimes people look to church as um, this is the way I'm going to find my bestie or I'm going to find my camping buddies or my vacation buddies. Or, and and those, are, those are certainly good reasons to, to meet people, to have and, and, and enjoy those things. But what we've got to get into our heads and we've got to be mindful and aware of it all the time is we're on a mission. And, and gathering in the large gatherings and gathering in the small gatherings, is, is, it is infinitely more than those things. 
I wouldn't say it's less. I think those are good things. But it's infinitely more than that. And, and I just wonder, do you approach, do I approach those interactions like that? I mean, we're trying to do things here. We had a, the pig roast yesterday. The women have a, a, a retreat. I mean, we're, we try to do things to, to develop the relationships, right? But I assure you our intention, not one of our objectives ever states when we talk about why we're doing it, so everyone can find a best friend. We just don't put that on there. So everyone can find their next camping buddy. We, we don't put that on there. We want people to develop friendships that then become spiritual lifelong partnerships so that we are on mission together. That's what they were doing. And look how far it got the message. Western Washington, Graham, Puyallup, and the greater area. And what I just noticed that they did this humbly. This is to me what I think is one of the, the things I love to talk about Christianity the most. Because there's a verse that people like to throw out there, and it's, 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 a, it's a legitimate verse, but I think it's taken uh, in the wrong way at times. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when we're, when we're talking to people, and they're talking about other ways, we throw out this, well, Jesus is the only way. And it, and it looks like we've got this secret code. We've got the secret knowledge. And because we know it, we're better than you. I love to tell people that are considering Christianity, our religion, our faith-based system is predicated upon, it is built upon the fact that I am a mess, that I am spiritually dead and bankrupt, and the only hope I have, it's in nothing that I could know better or do better, it is in the fact that Jesus lived a life in my place, a perfect life in my place, and then he died on the cross for all of us, absorbing the, the judgment and wrath of God, and then God raised him three days later to say, this is why he's the only way, the truth, and the life. My friends, you will not find a more humbling faith-based way to live. You just won't. And I invite in people into that. And we see it happening here. And there was a sense that something special was happening. The gospel will humble you, right? And then look what breaks out. So what happens is this, this movement, this is what, what something's happening, and then something amazing breaks out in verse 43. Then the fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the Apostles, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. This devotion to God, this devotion to the church family, in the large gatherings and the small gatherings, as they're growing, as they're connecting, as they're investing, something amazing happens. And it's generosity. Generosity just comes spilling out. It's the overflow of what they have received in Christ. And they're willing to say, hey, I'll give up what I have to help those who are in need in my church family. No one, no one should go not having their needs met in my church. That's what they're saying. One band, one sound, one church, one mission. Now, this isn't communal living. This isn't communism. This is out of their own hearts. They're giving this up out of their own willfulness to do it. They're not being forced to do it. The government isn't saying, the disciples aren't going, hey, we own that. Give it to us. No, this is coming out of the overflow of their hearts to be used to those and for those that are in need. So I say to you in this church and to you that are online, 
If you have a need, we want to help you. That is why we're here. There, there shouldn't be anyone in our church family that's going without their needs being met. And the only way that can really happen, well, let me just, there's probably more than one way, all right? But the biggest way is if we don't know. If you don't tell us. If you're too prideful to say, I can't ask for help. Well, then you didn't ask Jesus to save you. If you ask him to save you from that, you can ask his people to help you in, in your time of need, just as we would want to be helped in our time of need. Now, you might have a need that just blows us out of the water. Okay. But there's other ways we can help you in even that situation. But this is just an invitation. Anybody in here who is in need, that's why we're here. We want to help you. Please do not let us pass up the blessing, the opportunity to be used by God, knowing how much he's done for us to help you so that it will inspire you to help others and maybe even help us back. So my challenge this week is I want to go back to last week and just remind you. Last week we said this year's action. And the idea is aiming to know Jesus and make him known. And the aim stands for, A stands for activate. And I'm just asking you, what are you doing to activate your faith? What are you doing that's beyond your willpower? What are you doing that you're saying, I'm going to do this, but if God doesn't show up and empower me, this is going to be really embarrassing. Or I'm going to fall flat on my face. What is it you're stepping out to do? Activate your faith as we're collectively doing that. That's a powerful force in the hands of God. The eye is to impact your world. Think about your world, the people that are around you. What are you doing that's making an impact? If you all of a sudden, whoop, God took you out. Would anybody notice? Would it matter beyond just, wow, I'm going to miss his friendship? Would there be a bigger hole because of the way that you're seeking to sacrificially serve those in your area? And then M is to multiply disciples. It's making followers of Jesus. Mom and dad, is that a high priority to your children? Are you saying, man, this is my mission field right here. This is my most important mission field. Is it people in your small group? Is it people at work? Is it, is, is it people here that you're helping to multiply disciples, to multiply followers of Jesus? Because my friends, it worked back then and it continues to work and we are the, we're the beneficiaries of that. But we're not left just to be like a cul-de-sac of God's blessings where it's just like, oh, this is great. I mean, you can turn on the TV and hear a bunch of yahoos talking about that. It incites me, and, and, and there's nothing more I want at times to name names. But that would be inappropriate. And, and certainly my name could be mentioned on, uh, for many things that, I, that, I don't, that I'm missing to and that I don't do right. But guys, we are here not as cul-de-sacs, but as conduits. We pass the blessing of God on to others. And we, and, and we go, therefore, and we make disciples doing that. And that's what we're trying to do here. And we will always be trying to do that. Albeit imperfectly, thank God for his grace, right? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your patience with us. And your, God, thank you for this incredible ragtag group that you gathered together. That you poured your life into, Lord. And that you sent them out. You unleash them. And Father, we're the beneficiaries. God, may we not just be beneficiaries. May we pass along this. 
to people in our world for your glory to bring the applause and the praise to your name, not ours.